here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the drop zone. My name is Dylan DeChair, joined by the Sean Zock. Sean, it's Sunday. Several tours wrapped up today, and... Lydia Ko won on the LPGA Tour. Adam Svensson won the RSM Classic. John Rahm won the DP World Tour Championship. A bunch of feel-good stories. Mostly, Sean, everybody was happy. Mm. But nice if everybody was pace. happy about everything all the time, our job would not be very interesting. And luckily, there are some loose ends as we wrap the season Sort of, at least, it, it feels like we're, we're always in a permanent state of sort of wrapping up the season. But people are mad about things. Even John Rahm finished his day mad today. He, <laughs> he won the tournament. He was saying, okay, maybe, maybe now people will stop saying that I've had such a bad season. <laughs> that was his takeaway. Golf is in its petty season. 2022 has been a petty year for golf. Uh, 2023 maybe much the same way, but I wanted to run through some things that golfers are mad about. And I wanted you to help me determine if it's valid that they're mad or if they need to get over it. How does that Mm -hmm. sound? Good. I'm happy. So I think I'm in a pretty good place to decide whether or not people are justified with their anger. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Um, Before we get started, I want to direct folks over to radmoregolf.com. Our friends at Radmore have thrown some good stuff on the site some new stuff on the site. And this week, it's Christmas shopping season. It's time to get your people a really nice Radmore hoodie. The pants, they can hardly keep them on the shelves. Um, Pick up some stuff at radmoregolf.com. Use code DROPZONE at checkout. That's D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, all one word at checkout to get 25% off. Start your shopping in a good place. Uh, Sean... Rory McIlroy, I don't know if mad is the right word, but Rory McIlroy says that Greg Norman needs to go. He said on Tuesday ahead of the DP World Tour's season finale, he needs to exit stage left. He's made his mark, but I think now is the right time to say you've got this thing off the ground. No one's going to talk unless there's an adult in the room that can actually try to mend fences. Sean... Again, I don't know if mad is quite the right phrase here, but is Rory justified in how he's feeling about Greg Norman? No. Ooh. I think I think I'm gonna have to say no. Rory's unjustified, mainly because he is Greg Norman's rival here. So like him opining on what is the best strategy for live meeting in the middle with the PGA Tour mm-hmm. uh comes with a certain number of bias. Um Rory might be correct. Like he might be right about this greg norman might need to stand aside and maybe let i guess more modern savvy businessmen and women like decide this stuff but i don't think he's justified because like if we're actually deciding who has needed to meet in the middle and who has extended uh chances for that meeting Greg Norman has said, I have tried. <laughs> He's He tried contacting Jay Monahan this summer. And over the last 18 months, you know who has not tried to meet in the middle, who has not taken phone calls? That's Jay Monahan. So, you know, if anybody actually needs to change their stance, 
about this whole thing to meet in the middle, it's Jay and not Greg. Now, again, Rory could be correct in this. I just don't think he's justified. I like that. That's good perspective. I think, I mean, it's funny, right? For Rory, who is clearly aligned with the PGA Tour to speak to the uh, employment decisions of Liv. <laughs> it kind of makes me think of, you know, if you're if you're buying something on the internet, say, and uh, say you're getting some tickets off Craigslist, you're going, you're going to go to the Golden State Warriors game. And yeah, it's like, hey, you send over the money and then I'll send you the tickets. <laughs> that's what makes, <laughs> that's what this makes me think of. Rory's kind of saying, hey, look, you get rid of Norman first, then I think we could really talk. Um, but he's not exactly a, a reliable narrator, a reliable participant in this tour because he is of course biased, but I think people have kind of echoed this line of thinking from what I can tell. I, I, I don't know for sure that this Mark King thing is going to happen. The, uh, the head of Taco Bell used to be a tailor-made guy who is rumored and reported, I believe by the guardian to be Greg Norman's potential replacement. And Norman would move into an advisory role. Like, Not sure if that's telegraph. true. Uh, the telegraph shout out to our good people, but for Rory to be saying it, they don't have to listen to him, I guess. I, I, it's just not clear to me if the PGA Tour is wanting to compromise or not. It definitely seems like we're closer to that than we were. But then at the same time, you read stuff like Jimmy Dunn, who's the uh, new member of the tour's advisory board, basically saying that he's with the PGA Tour and he doesn't think that there's a need to compromise. So I don't know, Sean. I don't know what to what to make of this next phase of the PGA Tour and live coexisting or coming together or creating some worldwide schedule. I just don't know what the next step is in that happening, but maybe maybe it is getting rid of Norman. Mm, yeah, I mean, maybe Rory's trying to campaign for that so that it would be easier for Jay Monahan to actually take a meeting. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. Like anyone who thinks it's going to happen has not been paying attention to what the PGA Tour has been doing. The tour has got its own schedule problems to worry about, which we are going to get to uh, even later. But they've decided what their schedule is going to look like, and it's going to be a 40 weeks a year kind of thing. Like there's no room for live in that schedule. So I don't see it happening. People don't get your hopes up for that. Who else was pissed off this week? Um, well, Sean, this is kind of an interesting one. The Honda, well, the Honda Classic, but as it turns out, just Honda is the relevant player here, <laughs> has pulled its sponsorship going forward. I think, the, I think the Classic is also mad. Well, yeah, the, the Classic is mad. The, the Honda Classic has been mad for several years. In this case, Honda is pulling its sponsorship going forward, uh, essentially not getting the return that they thought they should be getting out of the Honda Classic. Are they right to be mad? Are they right to say this is not what we signed up for, we're not getting the return we expected, et cetera, et cetera. We're out of here. Yeah. Uh, Honda is justified, but justified with a shrug from me because, yes, they have had 40 years worth of sponsorship of this event on the PGA Tour, which is a huge deal. 42 but years. That's crazy. That is a long time. Uh, but as you and I have said on this podcast many times, 
if every single tournament, every single week is a big deal and mm. you have 40 of them across the course of the season, you don't have any big ones. Yeah. Like which ones are actually big? And the PGA Tour has decided that they are going to decide which ones are big. And they basically have said, hey, Honda, look, you're in a tough spot in the schedule. Just be patient. We'll get you. And Honda was like, nah, we're good. And so I shrug at this because I cannot blame Honda for being upset. They're in a horrible spot in the schedule because the PGA Tour has elevated the two events prior to their week and elevated the two events after their week. Um, so I don't blame them. I also don't blame the PGA Tour. Like We have argued for uh, constricting the schedule, for shortening yeah. things down. The Tour has done all those things. My final thought, my remaining thought is this is this is quick, quicker than I thought. Uh, you know, the the ugly fruits of the tour's decision with its schedule. I didn't think we we're going to show up maybe until next year when these events start to get a little bit hasty. But this one's already arrived within a few months of the tour announcing its schedule. So what other companies uh, that are main sponsors of events get a little hasty? Does the 3M sponsorship of the 3M open like, are they going to get elevated in the next two years? Hell no. Like, does Rocket Mortgage really care about how many big-time players are coming to their event in the middle of the summer? I actually really think that they do. So does this incentivize another sponsor to start putting pressure on the PGA Tour? I think it totally does. So I'm, I'm, I think everyone here is justified with what they're doing, and it's kind of hard for me to, like, find a solution that makes everybody happy. Here's how long ago it was that they started sponsoring the Honda Classic. This is this came about uh, to accompany the release of the Honda Accord in U.S. markets. So this is a while ago. Uh, they're saying their marketing mix has evolved, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't know it's if this... It's not a coincidence. I don't know if this is the sign it's of the not. times, if this is, you know, the there's been a real increase in Honda's motorcycle sales as a percentage of their production, you know, maybe some... Maybe some downturns, some downticks or, in reporting. Or maybe the PGA Tour hasn't cared about their event as much. Yeah. Uh, as well, and it, it, look, this this tournament used to have Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. And now you cannot get these guys who live 12 minutes away to come play this tournament. <laughs> you, They will go practice at another golf course in the same county instead of coming to play this tournament. So I get it. Someone else will come in, I would assume, and take over this tournament. Uh, you're right. If every tournament is special, none of them are. Not all the tournaments can be elevated. Not everyone can be above average. Honda is justified to take their sponsorship money and bring it elsewhere. Um, but the PGA Tour is not doing the wrong thing by, by letting this exist in its current form. What is tricky is the uh, extraneous, like, ways that this could go for PGA Tour sponsors. If this entire schedule alteration leads to fewer sponsorships, right? That just means that there are going to be a couple brands like Honda that bow out. But that doesn't mean that Honda is disinterested in golf. That means that they're disinterested in sponsoring an event mm. on the PGA Tour, which comes at a very interesting time for a Japanese automaker, uh, an Asian brand that Hey, you know what? There's a lot of sponsorship opportunities at Live Golf. There's a lot of sponsorship opportunities elsewhere. Like it just is a very intriguing time that like is it completely outlandish that Honda would 
be one of the first brands to get interested in sponsoring, I don't know, Live Thailand's event. I, I don't know if that's crazy or not, but it's a it's an intriguing time to do it. Sean, related related uh, madness here. <laughs> a nice dispatch from well, our occasional golf.com writer, reporter, Art Strickland, coming from the Houston Open last week. Interviewed Stuart Sink and Ryan Palmer, among some other players and uh, tournament organizers, about the Houston Open's future. And they were mad about the changes to the tour schedule, specifically how that would affect the Houston Open, how that would affect uh, their own schedule. Ryan Palmer said the change to the fall. He said, I don't think it's going to go well for the Houston Open. Vegas is worried about the fall. Mexico is worried about the fall. Houston should be worried. Stuart Sink said he doesn't know about preparing in the fall because it's about to be irrelevant again. He said, Disney is a great example of what can happen to a fall tournament with a schedule change. Why is it no longer here? You can say because we changed the tour schedule. The players no longer felt the need to go there. We felt it was so important to have a wraparound schedule, and now we're changing it again just a few years later. It's baffling. Baffling, Sean. Um, Do Ryan Palmer and Stuart Sink have a right to be uh, mad about these schedule changes to the PGA Tour's fall situation? Uh, I think the answer is no, but firstly, I would like to point out a huge missed opportunity for Ryan Palmer when he goes, Vegas is worried, Mexico is worried, and Houston should be worried. All he had to say was, in Houston, we've got a problem. Oh, it was right there. (laughs) Ryan, it was just sitting there for you. I don't think they're justified, um, which is interesting because it's like, of course, like this is the PGA Tour at its best. Players completely acting and speaking in their own best interests. All these guys are independent contractors that like almost make entirely every decision based off of what they can do for themselves, their caddy, their family, their agents, their foundations. Like it's always about them and they are always going to walk in the path of least resistance for themselves and the path that helps them the most. Um, But they are certainly impatient and resistant to change here. Like read the room of things that are happening in golf right now. Young players are being scooped up to go to live. Some of the best young players on the planet. A number of older players, and not even necessarily all older players, but like legit top 50 players in the world, scooped up to go to live. People are unsure if they want to hang around the PGA Tour forever. And the the tour has changed its schedule in a gigantic way, and they haven't been able to host the events of its changes just quite yet. So like Stuart and Ryan like have just an ounce of patience here. Um, they're also like a little bit justified because they're thinking in their best interest. And, you know, Ryan Palmer and Stuart Sink are guys that were probably FedEx cup ranked 70th to 140th. And so in the past they would play during these fall events and play while, uh, the likes of Rory and Rom and the best players in the world were maybe taking a break in the fall. Like this was a chance for them to mop up some points. Stuart Sink's last victory. When did it come? It came in the month of September at the Fortnite championship. I think a couple years ago, maybe it was the fries.com open. Like this is when those guys thrive. And so they're just kind of being selfish and speaking about themselves, but the whole like resistance to change thing, it, it just shows like a lack of understanding, lack of awareness and, maybe a little bit of ignorance on the fact that like the PJ tour is going to get bodied this time of year 
doesn't matter what kind of tournaments are being mm. hosted. doesn't yep. even matter what kind of purses are being hosted. College football, pro football are going to body pro golf this time of the year. So like, I think the PGA tour needs to do some things that it's doing to inspire other sponsorships. Like if they're worried about sponsorships being uh, devalued in the fall, like the PGA tour has a pretty great record of creating sponsorships out of thin air. And I think that they're going to do something with its fall chase that will most likely be sponsored. So have a little bit of patience, Ryan and Stu, uh, and be open to change because you're probably your PGA tour careers probably wouldn't have lasted this long without types of change in the schedule already. Yeah. So I don't strong takes, Sean. You're, I think you're spot on because here's the deal. These, these guys have been very good PGA tour players. They've been solid, steady members uh, with high points, but things have to change. I think that's been the lesson of this, that, that, certain people on the PGA tour, I guess, are still resisting the idea that look, no, 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 we're actually doing things differently now. Like we, <laughs> it, this, this wasn't just a bunch of talk and now, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all still good. Right. It's like, no, no, no. This is, this is uh Ryan coming back to tell Michael Scott, how things are going to be a little bit different now. And they, they actually do need to adapt to the new time. Um, to the credit of the, the, head of the Astros foundation, which runs the Houston open. He was basically saying, look, uh, this guy's name is, is Giles Kibbe, K I B B E. I'm not sure how we're saying that one, but let's go with Giles Kibbe. He said, look, our goal was always to get back to the spring anyway. If we need to raise more money to, to fund the sponsorship, to work on the purse, we'll do that. You know, we've got a bunch of great community sponsors here. Really like the attitude coming from our guy, Giles. I think that there needs to be an acceptance that, look, we are crystallizing these changes. The fall is something else now. The fall is going to be for guys who are in that secondary category, who are on the PGB tour, not the PGA tour, as friend of the show Joel Damon likes to say. Um, and instead say, look, the PGA tour has been a great run for you guys all this time. It still is going to be a really good spot to be. But yeah, the focus is shifting to that top group of guys and you should do everything in your power to be a part of that group. So I guess at this point, I don't think, I don't think anyone should be complaining about the fall season or mad about the fall season changing because it's so obviously a necessary change. The idea that these tournaments that have been happening are uh, somehow strengthening the PGA tours product. It'd be like if the NFL had, I don't know, like, what if the NFL just had like a six game mini season that started two weeks after the Super Bowl? And it was like everyone played, but not really kind of sporadically and no one really cared, but it still sort of counted somewhat to the next season. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. The whole thing yeah. makes no sense. It's great that it's changing. Yes, it's sad that there will be some tournaments that probably do get left behind, but hopefully they can adapt and be a part of whatever the new vision is. Otherwise, you know, maybe they will. We'll see the, they maybe will we'll see the Houston Open in the, well, not the Honda Classic spot. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, no, they you get the they point. will though. Like Jay Monahan has given every in inclination, indication 
that the fall series events are not going away. Those sponsors are not getting cast aside. Jay Monahan loves sponsors, man. No one loves sponsors more than Jay <laughs> Monahan. Yeah. And the PJ Tour, like, yeah, they they're taking a hit with with the Honda right now. But I think that they're in a, a pretty good spot where they'll they'll dream something up. You just have to be patient for it. We're probably going to get the announcement. I don't know in March or something like that. It was dreamed up in August. So like we're in the midway point between when we first found out and we're probably going to find out, let's not panic. It's football season. As Rory McIlroy said, do you think, well, are you excited for whatever this fall season could wind up being? Well, if you think about Stuart sink, man, he is like FedEx cup finish over the years. About half of them have been in the top 70 and about half of them have been outside the top 70. So this fall series would have always been an opportunity in years past for Stuart Sink to improve his status. And now as a major champion, he hasn't always needed like improved status to get into events, but players of his ilk do need improved status to get into every single event that they want to get into. And so, yes, in years past, this would have made great sense for someone like Stuart Sink. Joel Damon, you just mentioned, he's ranked 96 in the world. I think he finished like 76th in the FedEx Cup. He's like a gamer like he wants to play in the fall like it's, no one's telling you that you're not going to make the same amount of money by having good finishes in the fall it's just a kind of like a hey you can you can really help yourself out by doing well here it's all going to be gravy if you you know boost your ranking before the next year so it'll be fun but again like you and i cannot deviate from the fact that we have always said shrink the number of events shrink it from january through september like let's dial in a schedule that doesn't complete compete with football and let's move forward with that. Now, does that have number 30, 134 Martin trainer, like top of mind? No, but like the PGA tour can't always have number 134 Martin trainer top of mind. It has to focus on the top dogs. You want a little Martin trainer sidebar made his first cut of the season this week. Didn't mm -hmm. go. We like cuts. Didn't go great, I would say, on the weekend. I think he wound up about T57. But our guy Martin has the uh, next Olympics in his sights. He has confirmed his nationality as France. This could be a, a lesser-known Rory Sabatini situation. If Martin strings coming together after, a few more miss or a few more coming after cuts. Victor Perez, mm -hmm. coming after Victor Dubuisson, yeah, saying. I'm back, boys. Antoine Rosner. Watch out, <laughs> fellas. Here comes Martin Trainer. Um, Sean, this next one's really interesting and comes from a, a excellent bit of reporting from Beth Ann Nichols, who was in Naples at the CME Group Tour Championship this week. The CME Group was putting up a $2 million prize, which, as their CEO, Terry Duffy, said after the round today, was the biggest first place prize in the history of women's sports, which um, I have not fully fact-checked, but if we take him at his word, whether or not it's true, it's still a large, large check. Lydia Ko got this $2 million check, but earlier in the week, he was displeased. And here's why he, he uh, this is from the article on Golf Week. Former U.S. presidents, secretaries of state, and business tycoons have presented at CME's conference, and on Tuesday night's dinner, the firm typically invites a select number of players to attend. Earlier this week, when Duffy asked for the house lights to be turned on so that he could applaud the players in the room, the only people standing were those serving the tables, 
because not <laughs> a single player showed what up. What a visual. What a visual. Great. I mean, great bit of writing by Beth Ann. And for like just a sort of news story, that's some strong imagery. Uh, Duffy said, it's an embarrassment to a company of my size and an embarrassment to me personally. He said he was disappointed with the LPGA's leadership, said they better get their act together because they're going to lose people like me over stuff like this. Sean, this is significant. This is a... uh, this is a celebrated relationship on the LPGA Tour. I mean, all week we've been seeing stories about how this is, you know, helping to usher the LPGA into its next era. This $2 million first prize is massive. It's a big, big deal. Is he right to be upset that LPGA players did not show up to his dinner on Tuesday? Absolutely. Uh, I think he's upset that the players weren't there but he's not mad at the players. He's mad at LPGA leadership. He made that clear. And so if he is justified, then we have to extend blame to the commissioner, uh, Molly Marcus Simon. And she even took a little bit of the blame. She She was like, yeah, this is a miss by me. Uh, This was basically her second tour championship during her reign as commissioner. It's still very early days, and I think that she'll probably look back on this as a moment of, oh, crap, we can't afford to, mm. you know, be casual with stuff like this. Like, sponsors going into 2023 are absolutely massive because uh, CME is essentially the FedEx Cup for the PGA Tour, or the FedEx sponsorship for the PGA Tour. That's the kind of the kind of sponsorship that's going to carry the tour and all of its um, – all of its paydays a lot higher. It's the relationship that needs to be constantly stoked, I think. And uh, at some point, soon enough, I'm fairly confident that Live Golf or Saudi Aramco are going to try to make further inroads into the women's pro game. And what did the PGA Tour do Like when Live Golf came after it? It leaned really hard on its sponsors. And it's like really long-tenured relationships to say, hey, we're going to need you guys to pony up a little bit more money. We're going to give you more value, but we're, we're going to come forth with a product that like is beneficial for both sides. And is the LPGA tour going to be able to do that with little cracks in its system, you know, ushered in by things like this, you know, is this a big deal? It sounds like the CMEA leadership sees it as a very big deal. And so does the LPGA tour. But I just think that it's a very tricky time for sponsorships. We're literally spending half of this podcast talking about sponsorships. Yeah. So you can't have little slip ups like this. I I think he's absolutely justified. I think that's the point in some ways, the fact that we are spending this podcast talking about sponsorships, there's a little bit of a, a shift here and maybe this is still connected to live. Maybe it's connected to, I don't know, the economy. I mean, I know everyone's on edge a little bit about what's going to happen next year and people are thinking about how they're going to spend their money. But it feels like sponsors are are thinking more about themselves. And in this case, I mean, I think the the fact that you can put up two million dollars, you're saying this this guy, Terry, is saying, look, we better get something in return for this. This is this is not a charitable donation here. We are sponsors, and part of what we're paying for is access to these superstars, these top players, week of the tournament. Um, so I think this will get cleared up. I mean, Lydia Co went out of her way to thank uh, CME and Terry Duffy after her win. She, you know, sort of went straight over to that sponsor tent after she won. She gave a, gave her winning ball, her winning mm-hmm. ball away right after she won with it. 
Um, I assume that the players will be pretty focused on this going forward. But it's really interesting to sort of see the sponsors uh, starting to come out a little bit more, to to come into the public eye a little bit more. These aren't just guys giving bland statements in interviews on Sunday afternoon uh, on cable TV, kind of right before the leaders hit the back nine. I think we're going to see with this shifting landscape, we're going to see a little bit more participation from the sponsors themselves. And we're going to hear what it is they want, I guess. Now, one thing I also want to say that it it is, it's not a level playing field. Like when I'm making these comparisons between FedEx and the PGA tour and CME, like it's, it's not exactly the same. There is more pressure on LPGA stars on the best women golfers in the world to, as the article said, act like founders, act like the founding members of the LPGA tour who used to make all kinds of appearances back in the day when they were trying to get their tour off the ground. And, uh, it's those actions that back in the day, like help sustain the beginning of the LPGA tour. And like, should Lydia Ko have to be involved in that in the same way? Uh, I don't think Justin Thomas is being held to that standard, but that's one of the really unfortunate divides between men and women in, in the pro game right now. So it's not the same across the board and yeah. it's tricky, but like that's where the LPGA leadership has to be cognizant of it. And, you know, as you are potentially fighting off these foreign entities it's yeah. not to say that that's happening right this second. Like these little things matter. So I think it comes back to, though, I think, I think you're right to point out that connection between the, the PGA and the LPGA tour, but I think it does come back to this idea of buy-in because what tour mandates that its players go to their pro-am party, it's live. And yeah, it looked to be all fun and games and smiles and, and, you know, Hawaiian shirts at these things this year. We'll see if it will <laughs> continue to be fun for these guys to all show up on Tuesday or Wednesday night, whatever it is, um, when they have to do it every single time they play a live event. But there is that buy-in. There is that commitment to the tour that they are playing on that I'm sure the PGA Tour is jealous of because, you know, if you go to a pro-am party, there, I think that there may be a, a contracted number of these parties that players are required to go to every year, kind of show up, shake some hands, etc., move on. But there's not a lot of voluntary attending. You know, these guys are not going to go hit the buffet and see what the, the sponsors and the pro-am groups are up to on a Tuesday night. They're going to go do their thing. That's where they really lean into the independent contractor status. And one of the, some of the changes that have happened now with increased money um, with these elevated events is these guys giving up some of their individual freedoms for collective strength and, and collective mm-hmm. bargaining. And it seems like that's what the CME CEO is looking for here from the LPGA tour. And I think it's a tough scene for LPGA tour leadership because they would theoretically want that also more than anyone to have a cohesive tour with this buy-in with players that are doing what what's best for the tour all right who else was pissed this week well i'm starting to run out of people that are pissed but one really interesting <laughs> one john rom back to mr john rom oh right where we started gosh. john rom said i'm going to be as blunt as i can this was before the week started so he called his shot i think the owgr that's the official world golf ranking 
right now is laughable. And then he repeated himself, laughable, laughable, three times. Um, the fact that the RSM doesn't have any of the top 25 in the world and has more points than this event, where we have seven of the top 25, is laughable. He said it again. Uh, the fact that Wentworth, so that's the BMW PGA Championship, had less points than Napa, which is the Fortnite Championship, despite having uh, no players in the top 10 in the world, is laughable. So, Sean, John Rahm thinks it's laughable. He really doubled down on Sunday after he won because he earned about 22 points for his first place win, uh, where our friend Mr. Svensson at the RSM got 37. Mm -hmm. Is John Rahm right to be mad? He is partly justified... Um, he's also impatient like Stuart Sink <laughs> and he's also partly just not right to be this upset. And I think laughable is too strong of a word for me. Mm. I will start by saying I'm not surprised to see this argument coming from the guy who didn't quite understand like strokes gained all that well, like not too long ago and kind of just said that like his putting would still be affected by how well he's doing Tita Green, which is just statistical fallacy um i think that john can cut corners at times and thinks about himself a lot um i think important context here is that the rankings is the ranking is in a weird really weird spot right now a really weird spot you, you know you can add in the fact that a lot of live golfers have their ranking bottoming out so like some players who would be top 20 players in the world aren't right now and that kind of uh, disorients a little bit of, of things up top. Um, the new system was installed, I think, on September 1st this year. Or was it August 1st? Like, it's extremely young at this point. It's and fresh, what the yeah. new system, what it wasn't, what it wasn't allowed to do was retroactively change past tournaments. Whatever points that you got, whatever points Scotty Scheffler got in this spring were with the old system, which was a little bit more rewarding for like the biggest events and the biggest players. And, um, I just think we need a little bit more, like nine months from now, it'll be a little bit more, uh, baked in the, the fact that like Rom's recent run of form will probably have pushed him up quite a bit higher than it is currently right now. But I will point out like, when he's arguing that he's played really, really good golf the last two months, which is unequivocally like absolutely true. Yeah. He has gained on a lot of people. He's he gained has. on Scotty Scheffler, who had a massive lead on him. He's gained on Cameron Smith, who had a pretty massive lead on him. He's gained on Patrick Canley. He has gone past Xander Shoffley, and he's distanced himself from Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Matt Fitzpatrick. So when he's saying like, hey, I've played so well and I haven't really moved that much, it's a bit like circumstantial and he actually has moved a decent amount. So that's an easy way to like contextually poke holes through what Ram is saying. Um, I just, I think that the nine months from now, the ranking will look a lot better and that has nothing to do with live people even being involved with it or not. I think just this, this new points distribution system is working its way like towards that, future where it's not going to be as choppy of, of waters with like one victory launching someone really really high um i'm, I'm probably rambling at this point but like 
Yeah. I don't know, no, man. I, it, it's hard to tell point. John Rom to just slow down, dude. Yeah. And like, don't worry about your ranking in the middle of November. Worry about it in the end of January when you've come back and you've actually jumped ahead of Cam Smith and Cantlay and maybe even Scotty Scheffler at that point. I think he has a point, though. And here is here is where I think it breaks down. I think that I think that there are some little blind spots in this new world ranking system. I think overall we're talking about an improvement. We're talking about getting rid of some uh, some boosters that were put into place that kind of artificially inflated some events. But I think as a result, the world ranking uh, misinterprets certain small field events. If you're conspiratorially minded, maybe you would say this is uh, this is awfully convenient that if Live Golf would get points, that its points wouldn't be worth very much because of its limited fields. But this week, with only 50 people on the DP World Tour, uh, the people at Data Golf say it's roughly equally hard to win that tournament as it is to win the RSM. Maybe a little bit tougher to win uh, for John Rom to win, but they're barely getting you know, 55, 60% of the points for that first place. So essentially what they haven't done is figured out a way for, uh, for John Rom to then get more points and then have it be a steeper sliding scale as it goes down from there. So obviously it's going to be easier to finish 40th in a 50 player field, um, no matter the strength of field than 40th at the RSM where there's a hundred and hundred odd players. But it seems like they haven't quite figured that bit out, um, well, and I don't know if they will. I don't. I don't think they're going to change it. I think what the new system is going to do is be more fair to more people. And these spe- specific events, like you just mentioned, limited field events with maybe a little bit more top-heavy field strength, are are just not going to benefit as much because they are saying, "Hey, it's way better when you beat 120 people than it is when you beat 49." So prove it. Do it in an event where you beat 140 people. John Rom didn't play in a whole lot of events where he beat 140 people this year. Like that's kind of the truth of the matter. It's very convenient that he happened to win this week. I don't know if he says any of this stuff if he doesn't play that well on the weekend and actually finish a top. Uh, well, but tournament it, to his weekend. credit, he did say some of it before the week started, and then he got sure. to kind of drop the mic. At the yeah, <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying is like for people, uh, like. There were 17 players in that field. A third of that field was ranked outside the top 200. Mm-hmm. John Rahm's going to beat a lot of those people a lot of the time. So, you know, you almost can think of it as, like, when you think about the Masters and how that's the easiest major championship to win, nobody yeah. pokes any holes through the fact that you win that major championship. Like, no one's poking any holes to the fact that John Rahm really won this championship this week. He's the one doing it himself when he's calling attention to the fact that it's only 50 players and a third of them are outside the top 200. So, uh, again, it needs to be – there needs to be patience. I really think people will be surprised nine months from now when just fewer points are dished out for events all across the world. And more points will be lost on the back end of the two-year rolling schedule. And Scotty Scheffler will not be able to maintain where he's at right now. And John Rahm's going to pass him in February. Like, you can pretty much book it. So a little patience, John. But like I said, for a guy who has shown a little bit of hastiness with, like, analytics and numbers and stuff, I'm not all that surprised. 
Sean, what are you mad about? I'm mad that we don't know <laughs> if live golfers are going to be in the world ranking next year. I'm mm-hmm. mad about that. Um, I'm mad about that because by the time we reach 2023, month and a half from now, we'll have been six months clear of live submitting its request to be OWGR uh, ratified to, to get world ranking points. And there is no inclination that we are going to find out in November or December what the status is on that stuff. Uh, and you and I have talked about it, how like live needs to follow the rules and the need to check X amount of parts of the boxes to, to get these points. But right now we're moving into 2023 without any clarity on this thing that's been hovering over the sport for months and months and months, leading to hastiness, leading to a lot of statements from Rom, from Rory, from Camp Smith, from Phil, from uh, Spieth and, and JT and everybody. Like the OWGR, they might need to address the fact that these are <laughs> bizarre circumstances. Like, hey, maybe in the past you've waited a year to like respond to a, a submission. Maybe you need to do it in four months because this is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Like, I, I guess that's what I'm annoyed at. And I know that Liv is annoyed at it. And this is not me saying that I'm in favor of them necessarily getting points. It's me saying, we need to know. We need to actually be able to move forward. And right now, we're kind of like hovering. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt to have some transparency into the process. Even if they said, look, we need to see you guys do this for a few more months to see what you're all about. We need X. We need you to check these boxes and not just in a, you know, roundabout way by uh, bear hugging the Mina tour and <laughs> trying to slide some things through that way. We need you to actually commit to X, Y, and Z. Um, I mean, based off, again, this this week actually was probably a decent uh, analog for a live event in terms of what the world ranking points would look like. I mean, you have a handful of top players, a handful of relative unknowns, some guys in the middle, like the points are not going to be that significant as it's currently set up. Um, but they're a lot more significant than zero, which is, <laughs> you know, where they currently are. We're going to see some guys. We'll see Cam Smith in Australia in the coming weeks. Um, actually, I asked you what you were mad about, but you very nicely segued into the final thing I was going to introduce in our mad list, which was Liv being mad about OWGR points. I don't think that they are justified in being, uh, I don't think they were originally justified in being outraged about this because they very yes. quickly were and, and they were entitled to it. And I think that rubbed a lot of, a lot of golf fans and PGA tour players the wrong way. Like you can't just create a tour and instantly say, Hey, wait a minute, yep. you know, here we are disrupting the sport. Why don't we have official points yet? But now we should know something about the path forward. Otherwise it just feels like you're sticking your head in the sand. And like, this is extremely bureaucratic. It's like you're showing up to the DMV and saying, look, I really, I have this, you know, it'd be like the president showing up to the DMV and then being like, well, two weeks, no way around it. Nothing we can do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, bizarre circumstances have, have led us here. Uh, but every month that goes by 
only incites more of the type of press conferences like we've been seeing with John Rahm bitching and moaning about this stuff. So, sure, is John impatient? As I've said, yes. But is he alone? Absolutely not. So can we make a call? Yes or no. Don't even really care what the answer is. Make a call. Let's move forward and keep moving forward. Uh, that's what has me annoyed. Does anything have you pissed? Well, I mean, you want me to, you want me to start talking about how I dropped Joshua Palmer before the Sunday night game off my fantasy squad tonight and boom, 50 yard touchdown. Mm. Bad content. I would be pissed that you even had to worry about Joshua Palmer. That's definitely an indictment of your fantasy skills to begin with. That's very fair. Um, No, Sean, I think it's football season as Rory likes to say, uh, which means that I think, you know, we've gotten some, we've gotten some good takes out there. I feel better just having talked about them because that is part of the, maybe that's what has me mad. There's no, um, we don't do enough. We don't do enough checking of these things that people are saying of these people airing their grievances. So I hope that we've gotten to do a little bit of that. Yes. You know how the New York times, like they go through with red ink and Mm. every Trump speech and they highlight with red ink. This is, uh, this is not factual. This is absolutely wrong. This is correct. This is very wrong. We might need to start doing that with PGA Tour press conferences. A lot of footnotes, a lot of red ink. Hey, this isn't exactly how he says it is. That might be a little fun. We're coming for you, everyone. We're keeping receipts. Um, shout out to Lydia Ko. Really impressive. Uh, really end of the season. True kind of second act to her career and i think this really completed it this was a signature win for her adam svensson big time win john rom well done rom and rory i wrote a little ditty about this today on the on golf.com but what a fitting way to finish the dp world tour season you've got your two figureheads one of them wins the final tournament the the tour championship the other one wins the season-long race they kind of each do it in their own way all week. You know, Rory more towing the company line, Rom just raising hell, but he's also still <laughs> loyal and, and, and happy to be there. So, um, sounds like you and me. It was all pretty fitting. You're saying you're the John Rom of this podcast? Yeah. Guys, go to radmoregolf.com. Just do it. Enter code drop zone. You'll be absolutely delighted. We're sitting here in our Radmore sweatshirts right now, talking to you all and. I hope you have a great week.